I must say it is hard to recover from a moment like the one I just had here. I felt like my heart was about to explode with love. And yet, um, I know that what we're doing here is a lot bigger than my family, uh, a lot more important than what is happening to me or, or my kin, that, that we are gathered here today to, to receive gifts that, that transcend even flesh and blood. We've been in the midst now of a sermon series on wisdom, the wisdom of God. I think we're in the third week. Is that right, Steve? And when Steve said we're going to do a sermon series on wisdom, I really thought, well, who are the guest preachers going to be? Because uh, I don't see a lot of wise men around here. Maybe, maybe there's some women that we could recruit. But uh, anyway, so I was a little dubious. But um, here we are, week three. Steve has already uh, explained a few things that I think are really profound um, First, that in a way, a way of thinking about the wisdom of God is to think of wisdom as the female counterpart to the second person of the Trinity, one who was present at creation and is with us in every time and place. Wisdom is a gift, not something we can acquire in a book or something we can work and be proud of as our own achievement. It is a gift of God. Wisdom is that glue that holds all things together. And last week, Steve talked about wisdom as humility. It's impossible to be haughty and wise at the same time. Today, I want to say to you that wisdom is not a bunch of highfalutin words that sound mysterious and deep, that's not wisdom from a biblical point of view. Wisdom is relational. Wisdom is not speculative. It's not theoretical. It is lived experience in conversation with the one who made us. Lived experience. Check this out. The Hebrew people, they had core convictions They believed in a God who created, ordered, and blessed all of life. They believed in a God who chooses a people, who makes promises to those people, who saved those people, who acted decisively in history to rescue them and lead them, who gave them laws, who was a reliable partner. That's the story of Genesis and Exodus, the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, the whole Deuteronomic version of history. It's that solid, present God, partner with us. And then there are these other writings of the Hebrew people, some of which are in our Bible, like the book of Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Job, these books which attempt to speak about our real life as it is, 
when God doesn't seem to be so reliable, when our core beliefs don't necessarily hold up and life is called into question. That old-time religion doesn't seem to make sense as we face life's tragedies and mysteries. Wisdom literature for the Hebrew people was the way we talk about God when God is inscrutable and silent. God may be active, but not in such decisive and clear ways, only in subtle, paradoxical ways. Wisdom literature uses poetry, as did Muhammad Ali, to explain truths that are conveyed beyond the literal. So, I was thinking about this past winter when we lost dear Laura early. And in the winter of our grief, we cried out with words of wisdom. How can we bear this unbearable loss, O God? Why, O God, have you allowed this to happen? Sounds like Job. And when we hear of a 13-year-old boy whose life is wrapped up in dealing guns and who shoots somebody and who's then sentenced to four decades in prison, or when we see the story of another boatload of families that flips over in the sea as they're trying to make their way to a new land, we hear the words of wisdom shout, How long, O Lord, until your people can live in safety? When we lay in bed at night, wondering about the sources of our unhappiness or loneliness or those things that are beyond our control, wisdom gives utterance to our personal anguish. My God, why have you forsaken me? Life is vanity. All human work is vanity. Human lives are like grass, here today and gone tomorrow, says the book of Ecclesiastes. We need wisdom. We need the language of wisdom to voice our faith in such times. The story from the Gospel of Luke is one of those times. And since I believe that the Bible is meant not only to be read or heard, but actually to be engaged I'm going to ask you to be engaged in the story. There are two groups of people in this story. And so you're going to be one group, you're the other. And then this group of people, you are the people that are excited. Okay? You're, you're really happy. You're excited. You, you have high expectations. So let me see that on your faces. Okay? Let me, can you act excited? Come on. You have, you're happy, you're, you're enthusiastic. Are you? Okay. Okay, and then this side, you people are mournful. You are sad. You are hopeless. You are downtrodden. Can you look over at them and just look downtrodden? Wow, they look, don't they look downtrodden? So, 
Okay, so you're, you're all in this story. Let's, let's read it. This is from the seventh chapter of Luke. Soon afterwards, in other words, after Jesus had healed the centurion slave, as Steve had talked about last week, soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, about 25 miles from Capernaum, and his disciples and a large crowd were with him. That's you folk, okay? See, they're excited because they've just seen this healing of the centurion's slave. They're, they're, they can't believe what's next. Wow. Thank you. And as he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a very large crowd from the town. It was a funeral procession, and they were getting outside the city walls because that's where you buried people, because death is unclean, and you have to bury the dead outside the walls. And so you have this collision of two processions, one excited and hopeful, and one with no hope whatsoever. And when the Lord saw this woman, this widow, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came forward and he touched the bear, the the coffin. And the bears stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man got up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they were glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has come among us, and God has looked favorably upon God's people. And the word about him spread throughout all of Judea and the surrounding country. So Jesus and his group, they meet a, a, a procession coming in the opposite direction, And he meets a widow who has lost her only son. Now, there are a lot of widows in the Bible. Have you noticed that? There's, you have Naomi and Ruth in in the Old Testament. You have the story of the widow uh, who was helped by Elijah in a story much like this one, where she had lost her son and Elijah had raised her son from the dead. The Gospel of Luke begins with a widow when Jesus is presented at the temple, there's a prophetess named Anna who had been married seven years and then was widowed until the age of 84, so for many, many years. And then later on in Luke's story, Peter confronts a situation where a a dearly beloved woman named Tabitha had died, and the widows of the community had gathered around their beloved sister and were Uh, crying and mourning, and and Peter came to help. You know in the Bible that widows were a protected class of people. Among them also were orphans and foreigners who live in our midst. There were protected classes of people in the Bible. I became acutely aware of this when my mother... Uh, became a widow. Um, I believe she was 47, 46, 
years old. So for about 25 years, my mother lived as a widow. And in Old Testament times, the oldest son would be charged with taking care of that mother, his mother. I was the only son. I was the one. But I was off in graduate school, a thousand miles away. I was young and focused on my life, newly married. I was not equipped. I, I wasn't ready. My mother said, don't you dare come home. And so I couldn't be relied on to help her. What could I do? My brother-in-law did help her. He's, he's right here. Uh, Fred Shirt um, was that son to my mother who, who was faithful and, and helped her out, who paid for major repairs and paid for my little sister's new shoes and who hired her and gave her a, a meaningful job at his uh, medical practice at St. Vincent's. So I'm always grateful for that. But this woman, this widow of Nain, she had no one. I mean, the people that were in the funeral procession were so discouraged. How much bad luck could one person endure? How much sorrow and pain can a poor woman handle? She has nowhere to turn. She's just going to be a beggar. Her life is over. And Jesus just happened to come along right then. Have you been in situations like that where you've just happened to bump into someone and you, and you realize, well, gosh, if I had not stopped at the Starbucks on the way here, I, I would not have encountered that person. I would have already been passing. That happens, doesn't it? And Jesus just happened to be right there. And he was moved with compassion. He noticed this woman. He noticed her. Now sometimes I notice people and then I turn. The last thing I want to do is get involved. But Jesus noticed her and the Bible says he was moved with compassion and came and actually touched, touched that coffin and became unclean in doing so. See, it wasn't safe to do what he did, but he didn't seem to care about that. All he cared about was acting on his compassion. Notice there was no request by the widow for help. There was no act of faith demonstrated by anyone. There was no prayer. There was no formula. There was no ritual. It was just compassion, raw compassion of God. This is the wisdom of the cross that Paul talks about. He says, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And maybe what Jesus did seemed foolish to people. To actually touch that unclean coffin. But the wisdom of God raised that son and Jesus gave him back 
to his mother. And in this story, we certainly can anticipate the resurrection of Jesus. We really need to anticipate our own uh, empowerment from death to life, our own transformation from people who might be discouraged or defeated to those who are given another chance, who are not forgotten by God. The wisdom of God is the compassion of Jesus, which is willing to take the time to slow down and notice the people in our world who need our protection and our mercy. The wisdom of God is that which is willing to get dirty, to get involved, to be slowed down by the needs of others. The wisdom of God is present in a people who find their hearts broken from time to time. The foolishness of the cross is the wisdom of God. And we are invited to walk in that way. Amen.